The Taina Porter case and the evidence presented to the Privy Council that quashed his murder conviction that he suffered from fetal alcohol damage has brought the problem to public attention. Politicians, medical experts and judges have all called for more action. But as this Radio New Zealand Insight programme has been finding out, very little is known about the numbers affected or the impact the disorder is having on this country. He was a lovely bright little boy. He was walking when he came to us just over a year and he was saying words and he just seemed totally normal. But David's start in life was less than perfect. He was taken from his parents and adopted by his grandparents not long after he was born. His grandmother, who would like to be known as Shirley, says the couple couldn't cope with a baby. We knew that they did buy a whiskey bottle of Jack Daniels on benefit day and drink it. So we knew, but never ever considered that this child might be damaged because of it. Over the years, the effects of fetal alcohol damage on David, not his real name, have emerged. He's been before the youth court and is now in the adult system. While David is not an isolated case, the nationwide scale of the harm is unknown. Valerie McGinn is the neuropsychologist who worked on the fetal alcohol spectrum damage diagnosis for Tainapura that was presented to the Privy Council. Dr McGinn believes the problem facing New Zealand is huge. I mean, I think it is New Zealand's biggest health problem, significantly so. And also, it's the biggest health problem that you can actually do something about. And with possibly more than half of those affected ending up in the justice system, youth court judges would like action as well. A district court judge who spends half his time in the youth court in Auckland, Judge Tony Fitzgerald, says recognition of the disorder has gained traction only recently. I even think five years ago it would probably not have registered in most places, so awareness of it here is a relatively recent thing. Overseas there are countries that have been well aware of it for a lot longer, so Canada and parts of the United States uh, have been aware of it and responding to it for about 40 years. I'm Philippa Tolley and this insight asks how seriously the country is taking the problem of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. He piti hana inoi tēnei nā mātou katoa e māwake nei o mātou ingoa i te mutungake o tēnei... The damage alcohol does to the unborn child was recognised in this petition from the 19th century. A petition from all of us whose names are signed at the foot hereof to all the members of the Parliament to grant this request of ours. For some law to be passed by the Assembly and the government affecting this evil thing, grog, which is destroying us, so that a stop may be put to drinking among the Maoris, for that is at the root of the evils under which we suffer. These are the evils. It impoverishes us. Our children are not born healthy because the parents drink to excess and the child suffers. It was delivered to Parliament in 1874 by Haimona Te Aotearangi and nearly 170 others and called on MPs to send away what they called this evil leviathan, which the petition says was brought to this island to destroy the Māori people, their lands and their children. Nearly a century and a half later, researchers estimate that as many as 3,000 babies are born every year with some form of damage caused by exposure to alcohol in the womb. In David's case, the extent of the harm caused became evident as he grew. My husband was his main caregiver. My husband went on to part-time work, so he was taking him to school and picking him up afterwards, and they were very, very close. So my husband did all the boy things with him, would, would go to school and pick them up and kick a ball around with all the other kids before they went home. And my husband got sick with motor neurone disease, and his health 
deteriorated. David was eight at the time and Shirley says his behaviour became quite worrying. I remember one incident where he grabbed a stick and hit his grandfather who was in a wheelchair at that point. So that was very alarming for the family. At the time, Shirley put the deterioration down to grief. I was the focus of most of his anger and was physically attacked many times. I called the police on several occasions and we had a system where they would come and take him away and take him to friends of mine in another town. Dr McGinn says for a long time professionals didn't connect behaviours they were seeing with the effects alcohol had on the unborn child. It was the elephant in the room, I didn't know it was there. So obviously my whole life, I'd, my whole career I've been working with children who did have FASD and I didn't necessarily re recognise it as that and it was really only once I did specialist training in FASD that I started to appreciate how alcohol affects the developing brain and how that impacts on a child's development and, and their learning and also their behaviour and how that manifests itself through all the different ages, including up to adulthood. She says one of the difficulties is that people have focused on the syndrome, which is the most extreme form of the disorder and has specific characteristics, including particular facial features. It is a little bit complex in that every child is affected differently because the pattern of drinking is different and also the genetics of the mother and the child are different. And we, we know that some children may be badly affected by small amounts of alcohol and other children may be resilient to even heavier amounts of alcohol. So there is no sort of set pattern. But I guess what we know is that there are sometimes structural changes in the brain. There's definitely functional changes in the brain. So that children are growing up having to make their way around brain impairment and learn in a different way. And that's because their brain is not operating optimally. That doesn't mean they can't learn. They can learn, but you have to teach them directly. Another who is increasingly troubled about the incidence of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, or FASD, is the Children's Commissioner, Russell Wills. It used to be we spent most of our time with kids with asthma and epilepsy and diabetes and, and things like that. What's happened over the last... 15-20 um, years is we've had an influx of children with major behavioural problems and people will know that, that a lot of that was misdiagnosed as ADHD in the early days and what we've come to realise is that this is an enormously varied group. So there are kids with ADHD and they do get better with Ritalin but there are also kids who have been abused and neglected and who have behaviour very like that and mixed in with that we're realising increasingly that a lot of those kids who are inattentive and distractible and impulsive and defiant actually have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and those numbers appear to be large. In 2013, a select committee inquiry into improving child health outcomes considered the harm caused by alcohol and made specific recommendations which were to be implemented by this month. The MPs wanted guidelines on stopping alcohol consumption during pregnancy and prior to conception, as well as health warnings on bottles. They also wanted an action plan to combat the harm caused by FASD. Although the government committed to the 18-month timescale, the plan has been delayed. At the same time, growing numbers of children are being affected. Dr Wills, who is also a paediatrician in Hawke's Bay, says the impact is increasingly evident. Well, we're seeing it now. So we began to see you know, four-year-olds 
uh, excluded from kindergarten because of their behaviour about a decade ago. That's now relatively common. We're seeing kids referred as new entrants for assessment in paediatrics, which didn't happen very often a decade or so ago. And those kids now, of course, are through their teens. And fetal alcohol-affected kids, particularly when there's also violence or mental illness, they create chaos wherever they go. They are really, really hard work. He says the earlier the children can be identified, the better, ideally before they start school. The Ministry of Health's advisor on child and youth health, Pat Tui, is also a paediatrician working at Hutt Hospital. He thinks that given the wide nature of the disorder, it can be difficult to identify. It's quite a hard thing to diagnose unless you've got the classic FAS, the fetal alcohol syndrome, where you have growth retardation and the characteristic facial appearance and a range of other features. That's relatively easy to diagnose and... Uh, it's important that it, gets, it does get diagnosed, obviously. But what you're left with often as a clinician is a wide range of children with, with a range of problems from just being a bit small and a little bit delayed uh, right through to children who have significant behaviour problems later on in life. He agrees that despite progress, more needs to be done to improve professionals' understanding of the disorder – but he isn't convinced there's a need for more specialist centres other than the three already set up in the North Island. When it comes to the affected children, he believes a prescriptive system could have unintended negative consequences. If you put these rules in place to say you have to have X, Y and Z before we will give you the special service, then that actually could disadvantage a whole range of people because they may not get a special service. At the FAS end, at the more severe clinical, obvious uh, clinical syndrome end. I think we're realising now that these children do require a lot more ongoing care into adolescents and probably adulthood as well. The other group of children still get services as they need them. Although awareness of the disorder among children is increasing, Dr McGinn is especially worried about adults that have been affected. We've got a whole adult population of affected people and that's the population that we haven't really been able to get to at all yet. So we know that there are people with FASD in prison and suffering other adversities, for instance parenting children and not knowing how to do it properly, not being supported, and that's causing a whole lot of harm in the community. And as of yet, we have really no resources. Well, we have absolutely no resources that are targeted to this disability. We just try to sort of borrow resources from other sources, but that's not adequate. Judge Tony Fitzgerald says the symptoms of the disorder tend to make some sufferers almost unable to deal with the court system. Time, for example, they are notoriously unreliable at keeping appointments, they break curfews, and so they rapidly get dug deep into the criminal justice system because they not only offend but they continually disregard court orders and the historical response has been to just treat that as a criminal justice issue to be sanctioned, not realising that there was a valid health explanation for that behaviour that we should have been responding to so that they got the right sort of support and education. The Associate Minister of Health responsible for alcohol issues, Peter Dunn, believes more attention is being paid to the disorder because of the Tainapura case. When Tainapura was born, there was nothing in this space at all, whether it be alcohol-related or any other form of um, uh, genetic or other uh, deprivation, nothing. 
and he's a tragic example of what neglect brings around. When he was going through the, the court system in the 1990s, very little in place, and again, consequences that are adverse. Were he to appear today, then the services, the identification, uh, the way in which um, his situation was addressed would be vastly different. And I would venture to suggest in 18, 20 years' time we wouldn't be having a court trial, we wouldn't be having the consequences that we've been through. Both Peter Dunn and Dr Tui acknowledge that the care, support and in some cases assessment can be patchy. That was a case for David. As with many others who have suffered some sort of fetal alcohol damage, David ran into trouble with the police. At the time, he was being looked after by a caregiver. So he just escaped from here and went and did this thing with two other boys, um, held up a dairy with a knife and wanted cigarettes, you see. And so by the time I got back to where I would come from, <laughs> he was in the cells, and I went to see him and I said, David, did you want to hurt that lady? He said, no, no, I just wanted her to give me cigarettes. <laughs> and that's the rationale behind it. It was finally decided that David wasn't fit to plead, and after several false starts, he was placed in a residential environment that Shirley felt gave him the structure he needed to do well. But that ended when he turned 18. He was back on the streets, in trouble with the police again, and is now awaiting sentencing. In the Canadian province of Alberta, which has carried out a great deal of research into the problem, 50% of all children and young people in care are affected by the disorder, and many think the figures will be similar or even higher here. Christine Rogan works for Alcohol Health Watch and coordinates a network of those affected by FASD. She argues the disorder is still not given the prominence it deserves. I think where there's a lot of guesswork at the moment, like, oh, this is because this child's had an adverse environment or the parents are not disciplining them well or they're exposed to abuse, yes, that might all be part of the picture, but it could also be that underneath all of that is some prenatal brain damage, and the leading cause of that is alcohol. It's our leading drug in society, fully accepted, and we know we have high rates of drinking during pregnancy in this country. Christine Rogan says while studies do vary, those drinking rates in New Zealand appear to sit at 25 to 30 percent, figures high compared with other countries. She says at least 10 percent of expectant mothers are drinking at levels that are definitely hazardous for the unborn child, and anecdotally, drinking by young women appears to have increased in recent years. The principal youth court judge, Andrew Beecroft, has also added his voice to calls for greater action. He believes the system doesn't do enough to identify and help those with a range of neurodisabilities, including FASD. Based on overseas prevalence rates, 10 to 11 to 12 percent of those in youth custody overseas have some form of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. For the New Zealand numbers, that would be two to three hundred maybe young people a year in the youth court, we miss most of it. So if this is a disability that can be identified, is it appropriate that these people are going through the courts in the way they are and being sentenced in the way they are? Well, I mean, history may judge us. In a hundred years' time, we may be seen as well-meaning, committed, even passionate, but actually fairly ignorant, a crude approach. We didn't know what we didn't know. And I think maybe in a hundred years' time they'll look back and say, 
some young offenders were dealt with as maybe you could say a blind person was sentenced for not being able to see. He says the Youth Court has a statutory requirement to look at all underlying causes for offending, including the possibility of fetal alcohol damage. We know that overseas 60% of those with fetal alcohol spectrum syndrome in some way, 60% come into contact with the law. So it's actually a reason behind the offending. And we know that cognitively, very difficult for those people to understand implications of behaviour and consequences. And we've had a few stories already of, of sad cases in news court where responses have been put in place with things like cognitive behavioural therapy in a residential situation. The best we can give reoffendings taken place days sometimes after release. Judge Tony Fitzgerald says the adult court doesn't have the forensic support that has been built up in the youth court or the level of awareness or sentencing options. There doesn't seem to be the same appreciation of neurodisabilities. The forensic service provided to the adult court is limited to acute mental illness and so the whole area of people whose mental health concern is a neurodisability is not something that's catered for uh, nor it would seem recognised by many as an issue that we need to be looking for and responding to. He says it's not a question of individuals failing to be held to account if appropriate but of providing the right sort of treatment to ensure the individual doesn't continually offend with all the implications that has for society. While many want more screening to help identify individual cases, experts such as Dr McGinn would like work to be done to find out the extent of the disorder throughout the whole community and to link in with overseas studies, as the Select Committee recommended. We do have the opportunity at the moment to be part of the World Health Organisation International Prevalence Study, but we have no government funding. The World Health Organisation obviously won't fund a country like New Zealand. Um, they'll fund third world countries to, to do their studies, but we can't be considered third world. So in order for us to know how big our problem is, we need to be part of that study and we need to have government funding for that. We're all ready to do that study if the government would accept that this is a problem and we need to do something. That would be the perfect place to start. The Ministry of Health's Pat Tui says while nothing is being planned, there are possibilities being considered. We've got two options ahead of us. One is the WHO study, which, which has been put forward as an option. The other that we've been talking to the Growing Up in New Zealand team based in Auckland as to whether or not if they were to receive ongoing funding uh, and so for the study will continue, that we could um, start looking at the prevalence of uh, FASD within that cohort because that would be an ideal time and place to do that. Um, they've got all the history, they've got all the developmental information they require. So that's still an ongoing piece of work and we're still working with them on that. Another grandmother who has struggled with diagnosis and appropriate support has invited me to her home to talk about her wider family, many of whom she believes have been affected by a fetal alcohol disorder. Hello. Hi, Philippa. Hi, how are you? Would you like to come in? Yeah, thank you very much for speaking to me. The home of this woman, who would like to be called Lee, is in a small Rangateke town. She has family photos lined up on the shelves, including that of a nine-year-old girl she's been caring for since she was four months old. Lee, who is well into her retirement, suspects the child she cares for may well have FASD, and she's certain the girl's birth mother has also suffered damage through her own mother's drinking. She is not operating at an adult level remotely, but she's a very beautiful-looking 
young woman, but she falls falls into blaming others for anything that's wrong. She she's totally unable to even consider her own responsibility with anything that goes wrong. In many ways, life has gone wrong for this young woman who has had six children, all taken out of her care by child, youth and family. Lee and her husband have cared for the firstborn and the remaining five, the youngest of whom is less than a year old, are with two other wider Farnau members. Lee says a birth mother's approach to having children is another sign of the alcohol damage she suffered in the womb. The natural mothering instincts are there, but the ability of her brain to follow through on the good instincts is not there. It's like she's somebody between the age of two and seven trying to operate in an adult world, but she, the, the ability to actually perform as an adult is just simply not there. Sifts have removed each of her children as fast as she has them. There's nothing legal that anybody can do to force her to be sterilised and there's no inclination on her part to be sterilised whatsoever because then what's she going to do for attention? Lee is convinced that every one of the six children has been damaged in one way or another by alcohol. The nine-year-old she cares for flies out of control in the same way her mother does, and the tantrums are more than just emotional outbursts. We have had the um, sliding doors, the glass and the sliding doors, kicked in three times in two different houses. Um, have had the windscreen on the car smashed. We've been in other people's cars and the tantrum has happened and then their uh, rear vision mirror has been kicked off its thing. Just things kicked to pieces. For the birth mother, a similar tendency towards rages has led to violence and involvement with the police. If she's been under the influence and um, been thwarted in something, it's no trouble to just pick up whatever's at hand and use as a weapon. And she's fond of knives and um, she has used a vehicle as a weapon and found herself in jail as a result of doing that. Do you put that down to part of that lack of self-control that you think is all part of the fetal alcohol? I completely put it down to that. Lee says she loves her young relatives to bits and believes the young woman is just doing the best with how she is. But as a former nurse, Lee would like to see her relative in the sort of supported environment that used to be provided in what she calls the old-style psychiatric hospitals. People like her would have wound up in one of those backwards, being um, allowed to live her life as she had, she'd have her own room. She'd have, she'd have been able to live a life around the hospital with its enormous grounds and she'd have been on the injection so that she could have sex wherever she liked but she'd have been um, on the injection by prescription every three months so that she would not get pregnant. Lee would like similar supportive and controlled environments provided today to help those who have suffered damage that means it's difficult for them to operate as an adult. The possible links between fetal alcohol and child abuse among Māori has been of particular interest to Leah Buchanan, a paediatrician now retired who was the chair of the Māori Health Committee for the Royal Australasian College of Physicians. He's keen for more research to be done on the possible link. 
how many uh, of the Māori babies who are on the receiving end of severe physical maltreatment, how many of them might have actually, their behaviour might have been adversely affected by their, as babies by their exposure to alcohol in utero, in the womb. And that if you took that combination of a baby exposed to alcohol causing behaviour problems in the womb and parents or a parent struggling with handling alcohol and, and maybe drugs themselves, that seemed to me to be a plausible powder keg for some of the adverse features that were being seen amongst Māori kids, and, including death. Dr Buchanan would like the medical focus to be on the first one or two years of life. He says an early understanding would help support families and even be life-saving in the case of some babies. Dr Buchanan also believes it would help break what can often be a cycle. A woman, through circumstances beyond her control, to some extent, particularly if she herself might have the same problem, uh, may well have had another child who could also be affected. But getting any diagnosis and having staff that can make assessments is a significant issue in many parts of the country, and one that Christine Rogan from Alcohol Health Watch would like to see addressed. If we haven't got... Um, DHBs that are able to take referrals for children that are thought to be at risk, um, then you know it, it falls into a big hole. And unfortunately, in most of New Zealand, that's all we have is a bit of a black hole in this area. David has an older sister, also taken away from the parents as a baby, who was diagnosed early with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Shirley says that early diagnosis has made a huge difference to her granddaughter's life as she was given appropriate help and is now living in a supported environment, has part-time work and a boyfriend. Judge Beecroft says he and his colleagues regularly discuss the issue with Ministry of Health staff, but he says essentially New Zealand is playing catch-up. Two things are true. We don't have sufficient evidence in New Zealand of the prevalence of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and there are little in the way of detailed studies in New Zealand. The second thing is in the youth court generally we have a resource available in terms of youth forensic health services to conduct screening that can help weed out those with all form of mental health issues and neurodevelopmental disorders. So we have the generic tool in place but we need help with this specific issue. Peter Dunn says the next definitive step will be a mention of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and a focus on reducing harmful drinking in the national drug policy due to be published next month. He says while the select committee requested action plan has been delayed, a scheme is likely by the end of June next year. We've really got to focus on how do we address these issues effectively, how do we deal properly with the children who are suffering, how do we get the message out to the parents and the wider communities about how they can prevent these issues occurring in the first place? And if they can't achieve that, what do they do about seeking help? Christine Rogan wants action now. It's a hugely ignored problem uh, and it's, I, I don't know how, you could, you could use any kind of analogy to, to describe that. Maybe it feels all too hard, too big, uh, too costly, too difficult, too complex. You know, there's lots and lots of twos involved in this. And I would categorically say it is just too important to ignore any longer. But in the first instance, the Ministry of Health's advisor on child health, Pat Tui, backs the focus on stopping women from drinking during pregnancy. He says the Health Promotion Agency will reinforce the message that no drinking is safe during pregnancy in a campaign to begin next month. If the bath is overflowing, the first thing you do is turn off the tap. 
So that's absolutely important. We've got to do that. In the last decade, I think we have made some progress. There has been work that's been done. We've educated professionals. We've done some work around preventions. We've developed policies around alcohol and pregnancy. We've put in place a whole range of other initiatives, but they haven't been particularly well coordinated. And I think one of the things the plan does is help coordinate these disparate strategies and interventions that are out there. The Children's Commissioner says cooperation among the sectors is improving, but greater investment is needed, even though it won't pay off in terms of health dollars. It pays off in criminal justice and policing and employment and tax and welfare dependency. So it's the classic example of where investing in health pays off everywhere else. But for now, Dr McGinn mainly feels sorrow over those in the system who are not getting the help they need. You know, I do find it very sad that I get referral after referral after referral from the courts and I go into the prisons and, you know, I see people with real disabilities who have, many of them, broken the law. But the context of that is not being considered and I think that people should only be held to account for their actions to the degree to which they can moderate those. Shirley hopes the future for her grandson is brighter than the current situation suggests it might be. I would love him to have a job, to have some meaningful work to do. He, When we were in Nelson once, he showed me where they'd planted a whole lot of trees and he was so proud. These are the trees that me and my group planted. I just don't want him living on the streets. It's terrible. And I'm, I'm sad that I haven't been able to to rescue him, and I know I can't, and it's up to the agencies now to do it and the court system. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Gail Woods with technical production by Dan Beban.